The things these streets have seen, like legends, half man, half machine, who head up north to go down in history. But here in the Ville, nothing comes for free. Because here, there's no should. These streets reveal what's really under the hood. If these streets could talk, they wouldn't. They'd roar. They've seen the unforgettable, and they just want more. NTI Townsville 500. Book now at Ticketek. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. Hi everyone, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now my guest on the podcast this week is the four-time Bathurst winner, the king of Pukekohe, the all-round nice guy and patient. Well, he was patient with me because we asked lots of questions, Greg Murphy. Now, part two of the pod, we cover lots and lots more stuff. We talk about the Spider-Man Bathurst Kmart program. We talk about the 2004 Gold Coast press conference where he and Marcus Ambrose asked more questions of one another than any media probably did that day. Uh, winning the 24-hour Bathurst race in Peterbrook 05 Monaro. The National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions and there's some corkers relating to Bathurst 05 and that uh, crash with Marcus Ambrose. And Murph also tackles the Motor Focus Top 10 shootout. Enough of me, let's get into some chat with Murph. I talked to him recently over a Zoom call. Uh, he was at home in New Zealand. So here we go, buckle up. Time to start what I think is a really great part two of Greg Murphy on the VH Loop podcast, powered by Timken. There is so much to, to talk about, and I'm trying to avoid the obvious topics that you're probably sick of talking about. And it's hard to do a podcast with so many of our guests because you've talked about so many of these things so many times over. But Kmart, Lap of the Gods, all that stuff, that's been talked about a lot. The one I want to hone in on from that era, and, and I've got to admit, and I'll put my hand up here, and I've mentioned it on the pod before, in, in 04, I was the Kmart racing PR guy. So if you look in the background of some of the shots, there's an idiot with a white Holden motorsport shirt on, that's me. Um, but I have very fond memories of that late part of 04. And of course, it was the second Bathurst win, which is kind of a bit overlooked by the Lap of the Gods thing from the year before. But... Uh, 04 was its own beast where that wasn't quite a win that the car had the pace that 03 had, but it did at the right time of the day. Do you remember, remember when we wheeled out the Spider-Man car and it got a lot of publicity, which was the point of it for Kmart because they had a toy sale that was starting soon after. So that was the thing. But remember that it was for just Bathurst, but then the car and you and Rick won Bathurst. So everyone thought it's a good luck omen. Let's leave it on. And you kept winning because you went to the Gold Coast and won again. And I think Rick won a race at Tassie and then blew an engine and we decided, right, let's peel them off because the luck's over. But Spider-Man helped you win a couple of races, my friend, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved all that kind of stuff and, um, you know, the changing it up. And it didn't – you know, maybe it, maybe it was a start of things too because, you know, there's, you know the the – it wasn't big back then that people did different liveries and shifted them around the place. And, you know, it was like when you, when you, you rolled it out at the beginning of the year, that's pretty much how it stayed. And I think even from memory, 
I think the team, the boys were like, oh, God, we can change the livery. Oh, what a pain in the ass that is. I mean, it was all, it was all, all a bit funny. Um, it's become a, a pretty the norm these days for uh, liveries to change race by race. But, uh, yeah, it, it was cool having, you know, memories like that and, and attachments to, to those little stories. They were, you know, Kmart were a, were a great sponsor. They were, they were bloody good back in the days and, and um, we were fortunate to have them. Obviously, they, they finished up at the end of 2004. Um, things changed there and it, and it was all over. But, um, you know, they, they, they certainly got their lion's share of, uh, of coverage and uh, recognition through the, the period that um, we were lucky enough to have them at, um, at uh, TWR, Kelly Racing, whatever it was called through that period. It, was, it went through a few different name changes. It was a feisty little period there too because the, the competition between uh, Kmart and Stone Brothers was pretty solid there, particularly late in 04. And that delivered us the best ever press conference on the Gold Coast where you, you took over <laughs> interviewing Marcus and it turned into this rumble that there was background to it though that I think a lot of people forget from the day before when he accused Rick of brake testing him or holding him up in the race because... Uh, Rick had had an incident on the first lap of the Saturday race, I think it, with Russell Ingle at the head, uh, no, the chicane, got a penalty, uh, came back out just in front of Marcus Lee. I think you were running second, and he couldn't get past Rick the whole way, and he brake tested him on the run over the line at the end of the race, and it turned into, there's some video there of the, the aftermath, and you're pointing and shouting, and Marcus is spitting a few out, and he's giving one to Rick, and I'm in the background, and I'm getting phone calls from Murray Lomax at Channel 10 to make sure that Rick's interviewed and not pull him away. And uh, it was really festering up and it started that day, but the press conference was actually the following day. What do you remember about all that? And did you go in with a plan to stick a couple into Marcus while you were there or did it just come up as it started? No, no, no. Actually, you've got me because I actually, I, uh, I would have said that it was actually the same day. So it was actually the next day, was it? That, that, it was on the Sunday, yeah. Yeah, right, okay. So, um, and it was actually Rick was behind Marcus. It was, oh, that's it, right. He followed yeah. him the whole way. That's yeah, right. Yeah, he followed him. Yeah, that's so, right. That's which, was, right. which was even um, more strange because uh, all he did was sit there behind him and, and run the same pace and – um, for however many laps it was. But, um, you know, Marcus had a bit of a gap. I couldn't really do much about it. Um, uh, it you know, he was – that's just – it was just the speed that we were doing. And Rick wasn't impeding me from memory. There was no – there was nothing like get out of the way or whatever. But at the end of the race, you know, uh, we've crossed the start-finish line. Marcus crossed the start-finish line. And, um, yeah, he, he had just not appreciated the fact that there was another car – there um, and he and you know, he he gave it a big boot on the old brake pedal crossing the start finish line and 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 it was a brake test because and because Rick had to take avoiding action but I had backed off the throttle but flew straight past them both um, up against the wall going what the is going on here um, anyway we get back to the pit and uh, after the race and it's like what's going on and actually Marcus came down and and um, wanted to give Rick a bit of an earful about about the whole thing and you know i was sort of you know usually a very calm controlled kind of character but uh, <laughs> uh i i just was like what do you you know i was there and he sort of started to attack rick for for really doing nothing and and so i decided to get in on the act and and um throw a few barbs and it was like you know accused him of brake testing or whatever 
And so, um, as I say, I, th- I thought it was actually the same day, the press conference, but it was the next day. Um, I, I won, did I win the next day, did I? I you did. Have, you did. I won on Sunday. Okay. And so um, we're in the press conference and, and someone brings up about the fact about, you know, what happened the day before and what was that about. Oh, you know, and he, he answered um, whatever his answer was, which, you know, I didn't take. Um, I think you laughed at him, actually. I think I laughed and and. and and then I said something, and and it all went from there. But it was it was a very humorous and um, <laughs> quite quite interesting press conference because I it certainly wasn't what he expected it was going to be. And I actually absolutely had had not had a plan to go in there to to bring up what happened on Saturday or bring up about that whole situation. But being that he um, had answered it in the way he answered it, I decided well that isn't actually how I saw it, and that's not what happened. So. Uh, I decided to wade on in, as I did, with my uh, red bands on. So you, d- you didn't jump on the brakes after the start finish line? And that's Greg, why, Greg, I, went, Greg, is that why Greg, I went flying past you, Greg, Marcus? this is my question, mate. Yeah, I'm just, I'm you, just you, asking you a question as well. As you like. I'm asking you a question. You didn't jump well, on the brakes. I'm not going to answer your question, mate. You well, don't answer it then. I'm, I'm just asking, and if you don't want to answer, that's your problem. Well, why do you want to talk, mate? Well, because I, I flew past you as well, and I was off, and I was off the throttle. So you, you tried to slow down for some reason. Haven't okay. got an answer for that. Any further comment at this stage, Marcus? Mate, look, Greg, you're allowed to slow down after the finish of a race, I assume. Oh, right. You know, like um, these guys, we're fighting for a championship. Um, it's getting pretty messy. It's very disappointing that they want to play that way. What's that? What play? What way? Is, 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 to, is Rick not allowed to follow you? Is that not the idea of car racing? I mean, that's, that's the issue. Why'd you jump on the brakes? Um, I slowed down after the race. I, I don't, don't dispute that. Um, I totally refute the allegation that I brake tested Rick. Um, I had words to Rick after the race because I was upset about his sportsmanship during the race. Um, I refute the claims um, of what I said. And it's simple as that, mate. Simple. I've got nothing else to say. It's an absolute, it's an absolute joke the way that Greg carries on. It's an absolute <laughs> joke. It's an absolute joke the way that that uh, that Mark goes in the on. first corner, and he has no intention to turn in the corner. Um, you know, like I'm fighting for a championship here. I'm trying to do the right thing, and I've got guys that are getting in my way. <laughs> Mate, with, they're not just going to pull over for you and let you win the championship. That's not car racing. You know, you might have won it last year, but everyone's still got to do a job out there, and we've got sponsors on the car. We're allowed to race you. We're not just going to pull over and let you win the thing, all right? I'm sorry, but that's not the way it works. I mean, oh, and Mark doesn't have to pull over and let you pass either. Any other questions? Get over it. I don't think that any journalists had any questions left because you asked them all. He looked genuinely quite shell-shocked that this was even happening. And he was clearly under a lot of pressure and didn't... uh, Look, I'd be really interested to talk to him now that time's passed about how he was dealing with it all there. But when you're the hunted and you're the number one in the category and you... I remember his line was, I'm trying to win a championship and these guys are getting in my way. That's exactly the line. That's the aim of the game. It's going to move over and let you through. (laughs) Clearly, he was... um, starting to show the signs of being the one that the arrows were being fired at, which you are when you're number one. Mm. And, and it just festered and, and it fell apart on that day. But he got fined 10 grand for careless driving and failing to exercise reasonable care. After Is that right? See, I forgot that. I just looked it up while we, were, while we were talking because I was trying to remember what the scenario was and 
lucky yeah. enough we we keep all of this data here at our office so you never know what we might dig out yeah, it was really it was interesting because he, he really wasn't under any pressure and rick wasn't trying to do anything and i, I actually rick was rick uh back then when I mean, we were talking uh, so 2004 how old would he have been 16 years uh I mean, he, he wasn't smart enough to think to be doing, doing anything that would have been helping me or underhand. Um, you know, he would have just been moseying around, driving along, doing his thing. And I hope he watches this and hears that I said he wasn't smart enough. Um, so, you know, that, 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 was the, that was the irony and the, the sort of the funny side of it was um, he was just sitting there, you know, hope, wishing that he probably could get unlap himself but wasn't going to do anything silly. Um, so, yeah, funny times. And, you know, uh, I suppose that was um, a bit of the catalyst moving forward for um, um, Marcus and my sort of um, ongoing feud that uh, came to a, a head at Bathurst 12 months later. There's a question about that in our Couch Racer Questions uh, segment of the podcast where, with thanks to the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama, uh, fans have sent in some questions and there is an interesting uh, Bathurst 05 question that we'll uh, we'll launch a little bit later. By that stage, and we're jumping around all over the place, which is what we do on this podcast anyway, but you were leaving. You were, you decided to depart uh, Kmart Racing to go to PWR for 05. Rob Crawford was leaving and then didn't leave. Um, when did you make the call to leave and is it the biggest regret? I know you can only make decisions based on the available info at the time. You can never predict what's going to happen with anything in racing or life, uh, as this year probably proves to everybody. When did you make the call to leave and how did that all unfold and did you regret looking back on what that team that came up became versus the, the team that you ended up going with. And it was a bit of a struggle to get you back to a, a race and championship challenging situation after that. Uh, well, I, I never did, did I? Um, after that decision to to leave, came out and leave, um, you know, the the Kelly Racing slash, you know, uh, what was it? Walkinshaw slash sort of arrangement there. Um, and I, uh, when did it come about? I... I'm trying to think. I'm not sure how early, late in 2004 discussions started, but I got contacted by Mark Roworth, um, uh, who was the commercial guy at PWR, and um, you know it was floated, and I, you know, about me doing that, and obviously Jason was leaving. Jason Bright was leaving, and the performance there of you know those guys was pretty strong. I mean, they had the same cars effectively as what I had. So that was, that was a big tick, you know, it was like, I'm going to go and ease another team, but um, drive a car that's very similar, if not pretty much exactly the same. And they were a customer car from, from, from uh, TWR. And, um, you know, the, their offerings were good. The sponsor, obviously super cheap um, was good. I, I I think at the time I may have already, been aware that maybe Kmart weren't continuing as well. I'm not sure. Um, but it, it sort of stacked up, you know, and Phil Keed was there as well. Um, and that was something that was really important to me, that he was going to be there. That's something that did change, which um, threw a spanner on the works big time because, you know, I was really confident heading there that he was going to be part of it. And I was, you know, I was sort of, wasn't led to believe it was, it was, you know, that was one of my questions, like, you know, is Phil staying because that was such an integral part of making the decision. 
And um, I was told, yes, he's staying definitely. And unfortunately, I got let down by that, which was, um, you know, I, I don't know why, um, what happened there. I can't remember what he decided to do. Maybe it was because he found out I was going to be there. I don't know. Um, but he, <laughs> he, uh, he left. With, with Bridie, though. So he went to FBR with him. Is probably the bit that we sure. to the, the puzzle there. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he, they had a good relationship, but but I was told that he wasn't going to be leaving; he was going to be staying. Um, so that was a big part of the decision making process um, of going going there. And, and you know, they were doing a good job; they had big plans. And, and again, it's one of those things you, you're given information. And and hey, um, it's not like the first year was was terrible. We mm. we had some we had some great results, amazing, really cool results. It was fantastic, um, but. Um, we fell into a real big hole uh, for a long while uh, when when the the decision was made to to go away from the supply of engines from um, TWR and go to Perkins Engineering supplied power plants, and and that you know seemed like it should be quite a straightforward exercise, but um, you know it, it turned things upside down. Um, big time, and we lost. We lost pretty much all our momentum. Um, we gathered some of it back, but um, we never really recovered from that fully. And then, and then, two thousand and six, um, at the team didn't didn't start very well, and and never and and just got worse all the way through. Um, and then subsequently, at the end of '06, so you know, um, Keys was was very good enough to let me leave, um, out, uh, pull out of my contract, and, and head off to Tasman. So you had another year to go on that deal there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the nature of life. If it's not working, then if uh, everyone can be big boys about it, then uh, move well, on. and he was. He was. He was. He was. He was. Um, you know, very professional and, and straightforward enough about it. And, and I'm not really sure what what um, again why it all went upside down there. It just it just didn't. You know, things just didn't happen in 2006 the way they they were intended. And we really, 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 really struggled um, for 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 uh, whatever reasons. Our race cars at the end of the day. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticket Tech. Supercars, unforgettable. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, apologies for jumping around on the timeline, but um, a couple of other little things I wanted to touch on. Earlier this year, before the world went weird and you did get to drive some race cars, you got reunited with the Bathurst 24-hour winning Monaro, the Nations Cup 7-litre 427 car, the red car that you won with Brock and Todd Kelly and Jason Bright in. It's owned by a private collector now. It's had a few owners since it was a, a GRM race car from back in the day. Tell me about the memory, because that was only, what, a month after you'd done the lap of the gods, won the Bathurst 1000, were challenging for the Supercars Championship, and then you win the Bathurst 24-hour. So it's, it's, it's a pretty big month or two that you had going late in that year, but Tell me about the car. Tell me about driving it again, and tell me about the the whole the whole program there to, to go and do that race and, and win it. Uh, um, yeah, that was mega. Uh, obviously, the 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 guys had won it in the in the yellow car uh, twelve months earlier, the twenty four hour race, and and um, then you know word 
word started to get around, they're going to run another one in, in 2003 and, and Nathan pretty was, um, was involved in that. And then Brock was, um, was going to drive the other car and, and then, yeah, the, the, the whole process just all came together. Holden um, wanted to, you know, fill the second car for the 24 hour with, with, with blokes and, and we were all contracted and, and obviously ready and willing. Um, so Bridie, myself, Todd and uh, obviously PB stuck in the 05 and and it was it was just yeah it was awesome it was uh, such a fun um, fun time and fun race and 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 obviously ended very very weirdly um, <laughs> by um, being given the the green light to go and race the last last seven minutes of the 24 hour race and um, I just happened to be aboard the 05 battling it with GT. Um, and it was it was wild. It was just just totally wild. But the car was um, you know sort of reuniting with it uh, back in February. You forget how agricultural they are <laughs> as a car. I mean, they were built built really well, but just um, you know they still got the dash in them. You know the original dash, the rules I think around the regulations and stuff. You had to have you know um, uh, the dash needed to be still in the car and bits and pieces. They just yeah, it was just a. It was a funny thing getting back in it and driving it. It was really just like a road car hotted up, pretty much. But, but it was awesome to to get the chance to strap back in and, and be uh, be reunited and, and and bring back a, a flood of memories about about driving the car. For those that don't remember that radio conversation between Gary Rogers and the Monaro drivers, uh, let's just pause for a second and have a listen to the audio from two thousand three. Very, very interesting chat going on. The Gary Rogers Motorsport uh, Radio, David Addison. We don't know what it all means, but uh, some link to the seven minutes. minutes, But please, when this happens, can you understand the work and energy and effort that all your workers have put into this? I expect a fair go for everybody, but it is vital for both of you to finish. Well, there you are. Clear directions from Gary Rogers. At seven minutes, something is going to happen. And remember, the team said, Gary Rogers, you've got to finish. Murphy with three tenths of a second over Garth Tander. Please give each other a fair go. Thank you. Please give each other a fair go. Gary, say that again. (laughs) Seven minutes now, so race for it, but please give each other a fair go. And as I said, respect the work that these people put into it. Okay, so it's the other way from what I predicted. They've got seven minutes to go until the end of the race. Now it's the game on. The way he's done this does surprise me, I've got to say. This is dangerous, isn't it? It is. It's dangerous, but I tell you what, it's fun, folks. Get into it. Look at this. So tell me, when that radio call comes through, you can hear it in your voice, absolutely perplexed, wondering, is he taking the piss or is this legit? Yep, yep. I was like, ah, sorry, please, can you repeat that? (laughs) Just just want to make sure I'm clear that um, you want us to race for the last... I can only imagine. I, can, I, I did hear afterwards the just the reaction from uh, Bev and uh, Peter in the in the pit lane. I think was a bit uh, shock, you know, that that was going to happen. It was a shock enough for me in the bloody in the uh, in the car. You know, here we are um, with Brock driving this thing. 05, big red bloody four twenty seven Monaro. Can you imagine if I stuff this up? Can you imagine if I freaking get this wrong? And GT slides up the inside somewhere. It was the most crazy last couple of laps of any race I've ever been involved in. I mean, it was just, it was like, 
it was like um, apocalypse now around the racetrack because there was cars crashing, there was yellow flags, there was, it was just, it was wild, freaking wild. And to be honest, you know, there's there's a there's a, a decent amount of blokes that you'd you'd be quite happy to have um, in a battle like that with you, but uh, you know I was pretty happy that GT was there. Um, you know he he knew what needed to be done as as much as he wanted to win win a, a second twenty four hour. Um, he also knew what was at stake, as did I. So uh, it was a it was a pretty <laughs> pretty wild couple of couple of final laps, but but uh, very memorable. Well, you are still the reigning carryover. Bathurst 24 hour champion. You are yet to be defeated. You are still the holder of the crown. That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, I also managed to steal the trophy as well. So I've got that at home. Yeah, what? Well, one of the trophies. I think we all got given them, but I don't know if it was part of the deal or not, but I've got it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope no one's listening who can. uh, But right now, no one in Australia can get on a plane to come over there and take it back from you. So I think you're all right for a little while. I think I'm all right. I think I'm okay. Um, that probably brings a really good question too. We love talking about the memorabilia. We love talking about the the bits and pieces. We talk to other drivers about what suits they've kept, their helmets. Some of them are hoarders. Some of them don't give a crap and get rid of it all. Um, I know that you're you're not a hoarder, but you do keep most stuff. Um, a few years ago, you had a, a bit of a charity auction that you, you donated a lot of money to, to, to charity in New Zealand and you sold some of your stuff. And I'm very lucky that here in the office, um, I've got your 2004 Bathurst winning race suit. It's been really nicely framed up and um, is a very, given the, the connection that I had to that race win, that's a very special and valued part of the collection here at Sleuth HQ. But uh, what have you kept? What are, you, what are your most, most prized possessions and what are some of the things that are perhaps the, the oddities from your career that you've, you've kept tucked away? Yeah, it's a, it was a really weird one. Um, just sort of going back a step there when you, you're talking about the, the auction that I had. I mean, you know, I... I had pretty much everything. Um, I used to give uh, a lot of, you know, um, team gear away, sign it, you know, for charities, that kind of stuff. And I've, over the years, uh, people that have supported me, um, I've given helmets to, um, you know, I've also uh, auctioned a few off, sold a few for charity as well. So, you know, it's one of those things, you know, when you start adding up the gear, and you know race suits and, and and a lot of the contracts all the deals that i had done you know you got to keep um one of the suits um at the end of the season and and generally you know you used to have two suits for the year that you'd, that you'd wear a couple of helmets that kind of stuff but uh you do start to collect it and it st- starts to take up a lot of space and, it, and it's one of those things it's not i never you know was going to have a, a a room somewhere where i was going to have it all hanging up or that kind of I mean, you can imagine the cost you know what the cost is like trying to frame a suit mm. um and then hang those up and it's like well then they're just sitting in boxes then they're just rotting now what's going to happen who's really going to care about it down the line and i just got to the point it was like i got so much stuff it's all in boxes um you know it, it's just a waste and and as you said yeah, some some guys treat it like it's you know like you know like trophies, and they treat it like it's the um, you know it's a really important part of their lives, and they need to have it or whatever. And then that's great, that's awesome. I know Rick Kelly's got all his stuff um, all boxed up and and all labelled, you know, for every year that he's um, driven, and and that's cool. But it just wasn't really my thing, I suppose, so much. And and so I, I did uh, sell off a lot of memorabilia and bits and pieces. And as so it, it, it means that it's now spread amongst 
fans and, and collectors and people who appreciate that stuff and they've got one or two items. I haven't got 150 items sitting somewhere in a box. People have got that and they appreciate it and that's, that's awesome. And I, I'm pretty happy that that's, um, that's the way it turned out. As far as what I've still got, um, that is um, reference to you know my my career. I've still got a bunch of helmets, not as many as I, I probably now. If I if I if I had uh, could go back in time, something I would keep is probably helmets. To be honest, um, and I know there's a lot floating around out there, and and again that that's cool. So I've got a few helmets that I've kept. Um, trophies, uh, the main trophies that I've got are Bathurst trophies. Um, you know that they, they, they take pride of place. Um, one thing that I did get replicas of because race teams, you know, uh, pay the bills so they get to keep the most of the trophies or the originals. Um, one thing I did do is get replicas made of all the, the surfboards that I wanted at uh, the Gold Coast because I just thought that they were just a real colourful, really cool piece to to have hanging on walls. So I've got those um, uh, in, in a shed. Um, but other than that, that's that's pretty much it. Heaps of photographs, heaps of that kind of stuff. A lot of the stuff that I really do like is is the work that people have done, the drawings of race cars. Not so much the photos, but you know, um, illustrations of of race cars and stuff. So I've got a bit of that stuff lying around the place. But you know, um, it, it, I did empty it out a few years ago and got rid of a lot of things. I remember that there was a, a Kiwi artist, Don Packwood, who did a beautiful yep. painting of your laptop. Hammer card, and you've got the original. There were there were prints um, done there. It's a beautiful piece. It it's is. a nice little segue in, but is that the car that if? And I know big expense to own an old race car, storage, keeping it running, all that sort of stuff. But if all of that stuff wasn't a factor, is that the car that you would the, of the one cars, one car from your career that you'd like to keep and or have under your yeah. turnkey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not uh, too much uh, shock and horror in, in me saying that. Um, yeah, it is. And, and, and the rebuild and the, uh, of, of that car was done, um, you know, at, uh, at our workshop and um, where were we? Dan and on there when Tasman was operating. So um, John Anderson um, bought the, the car and then had it converted back to basically as it was in 2003, even with its, um, uh, the shock towers, uh, still in place, even though it was a, it had been converted to, um, a double arm car. It still had the shock towers cause it was, it was a bit of a hybrid at the time. And George Smith, um, um, from Dinkar, who was uh, the, the bloke, one of the blokes along with Dennis who did all the work back in the day, um, um, went and, and rebuilt that car back to its uh, former glory. So, you know, a great piece of history uh, and obviously special to me and special for a lot of people. But, you know, that car is, is currently, you know, um, I think uh, still up for sale. I think it's a Bathurst Museum at the moment. And, and I was really lucky once it did get finished to actually do a couple of laps at Bathurst in the 50th anniversary um, event. And, and, and I tell you, mate, um, Stepping back in and climbing back in that car, H pattern, the simplicity of it all, and and driving around that racetrack. Oh my god! I mean, I just loved. I would love, out of any race car at all, to uh, spend some more time aboard uh, aboard that vehicle, and um, because it did, it was it was a it was a, a an amazing period of my career, and and it does uh, hold some special um, special memories, of, of course special memories for, for so many people that I, I don't think no matter what speeds are achieved in the future, whether they're seconds faster, which they, they, they are now, the momentum of that day will, will never be changed. So it's one that we get, I mean, you know, we, we cover the history of the cars as a, a big part of what we do. And 
it's one of the most asked about cars that we get from any of the fans out there. And I think that's going to be the case for a, mm. a very, very long time to come. One car or two cars that aren't. I've got a model of it. I've got a model. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's a start. It's, um, and and they're, worth, they're worth more than what they should be too. They are. They are. They, uh, they've gone up in value since they came out back in 2003. That's for sure. Um, by the way, uh, we do do a model car podcast, the Motor Focus Model Car Podcast. So we might have to talk about Murph cars on the second-hand market for an upcoming episode of all the cars you should have bought but you didn't buy that are now worth 10 times what they were when you... That's right. Hey, did you keep your trophies from your Bathurst class wins, the Vectra and the Astra? Do you remember winning? (laughs) The Astra. (laughs) 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 Uh, Did we get given trophies? I don't know. Someone probably swiped them. Yeah, I actually, I th- I think yeah they'll be on a mantle somewhere for as as um or no they'll be in a box somewhere probably floating around Rob Crawford's place or something I don't know they'll be yeah who knows Shit. I don't think I oversaw I don't think I oversaw them funny how funny I, I forgot think, about that I think we slipped a couple of uh, those photos into our uh, our new Holden book Racing the Line Illustrated History of Holden in Motorsport which you do feature. Uh, quite a bit in across the journey, and there's a little bit of Vector and Astra action there for the small car production car. How about my teammate? How about my, 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 my larger-than-life teammate at the time? Which one? Sam. Oh, Sammy Newman. That's right. Yeah. So it was one year you and Rich. This was the GTP three hour on the Saturday afternoon. So GTP three hour sounds, yeah. sounds yeah. so good. In a Vectra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I reckon was probably flat out breaking three minutes around the mountain, would it not be? Oh, on a good day. I I think it might have only just, yeah. (laughs) We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. But I wanted to quickly tell you about our good friends at Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now, you might know their name and you might recognise their logo. But did you know that Timken bearings are used in the centrepiece of one of the most stunning stadiums in the world of sport? The $2 billion, yes, billion dollar Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta features a retractable roof that is a work of incredible engineering. It features eight triangular roof panels, or pedals as the designers call them, that slide open and close in the same way that a camera shutter does. Each pedal weighs almost 500 metric tonnes and when the roof is closed, each pedal cantilevers over 60 metres from the outer edge of the stadium. Now despite the weight, the size and the complexity of the design, the roof can be closed in just over seven minutes and open in just over eight, with Timken's tapered roller bearings used to ensure each petal moves smoothly. The stadium's home to the Atlanta Falcons NFL team and the Atlanta United Major League Soccer team, and in 2019, it hosted the crown jewel of American football, the Super Bowl. We'll bring you more cool facts about Timkin in each episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast through the course of the year. Now, it's back to the podcast. Hey, there's heaps to chat about. Uh, we'll, we'll keep zipping through it. Um, it's probably an excuse to do another one somewhere down the track because there's plenty of things I've skipped across. What I don't want to skip across, though, are um, our National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions where the fans have sent in a, a few questions. Um, I'll bounce through them quickly. Um, I talked about 05. Uh, there's a lot. In fact, more questions about Bathurst 05 than um, any other topic when we threw it out there uh, a week or so ago. So three parts. Be nice. Part A, 
What did you and Ambrose actually say to one another? Can you give us the uh, full version and we'll bleep anything that is too fruity that needs to be bleeped? Oh, God. Um, a lot of finger pointing. Um, and it was along the lines of, um, you, you, what the you, you, what the you, uh, you know, go yourself, you, what the do you think you're doing? You're trying to kill me, yeah, you why don't you just off over to America? I'll buy you a ticket, you. Um, um, I don't know. The complete machine just blew up. <laughs> yeah. It was wild. Absolutely wild. Far out. These, um, yeah. I tell you right now, if I would uh, if I knew what was going to happen, um, I would have actually, uh, yeah, not been as pig-headed to try and um, uh, hold my line through that corner and that he bailed out of that one and let him have it. Right. Okay. So there's this is a... The cooler, mellower, mature Murph saying, in hindsight, you would have done. Well, it. the thing is, the thing is, you know, we went in as much as you. You, know, were cool, you? you you had to pit again, didn't you? Oh no, no, no! Don't think so. No, I don't think so. But we were we were out of it. I mean, we were fourth and fifth, and yeah, yeah. and we weren't going to win. Neither us. I don't. I doubt we we're going to get the podium. The guys ahead of us were. Where everyone was trucking along pretty good. It was pretty late. Was it lap one forty seven or something? Yeah, around that fifteen or so. Yeah. Ago. Yeah, I don't remember that we were going to have to pit again. Um, I, had weird, I, I had a weird feeling that your car that because by that stage you'd swapped to the Perkins engines, and I think you were out of whack on the strategy. Oh, I'm, I might be wrong. My memory maybe. I I honestly don't. I don't recall. It might have been the case, but um, you know, it was it was a it was just a, it was a bit of a struggle of a day, and and you know, I um I didn't feel from from what I remember. I, you know, we were I was pretty comfortable. Marcus, I don't think had anything. Um, special as speed goes on on me, um, but I got balked heavily by I think David Besner going into turn two and Griffiths and and um, I sort of uh, yeah he he sort of turned down on me when I was trying to pass him and and lost all my momentum and and that allowed Marcus to come up alongside um, on the run up to up to turn three and it was just one of those pig headed moments where you know um, he wasn't going to give in and I didn't give in and, and he had his nose ahead, but it was no pass completed. And so, you know, I, I've always been quite open. The fact that I, I believe we both contributed to it and I always was happy to take 50% of the blame for it because it was a goddamn mess. Um, but, um, you know, it's one of those things and, and we'll agree to disagree, I'm sure, but you know, it was just a, yeah, a shit sandwich that, um, yeah, sort of wish never had happened, obviously. Mm. And if he had, had my time again, and I could bloody go and repeat it, you know, uh, knowing what 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 has happened, you, you you probably would bail out of it. When you say what has happened, do you mean? Oh, just afterwards. The fact that it, the, the cars were out of the race and you were out, or the fact yep. that it's gone on all for ten years and we're still talking about it. Yeah, all that, and the fact we're still talking about it because it was not like it was a, it's not like it was a great a great moment in my life, in my career, and not for him either. Um, but um, you know, and it soured, obviously. Yeah, just added to fuel to probably um, a bit of the um, the fire that was already burning maybe between us anyway, I suppose. And I mean, I, I got a huge amount of respect for the guy. I mean, I think his ability behind the wheel of a racing car was proven and, and um, you know, won two championships and went off to America and did, did as far as I'm concerned, did great things over there. Um, you know, achieved a lot. So, you know, kudos to him for, for that. Um, you know, it was just, uh, it was messy, 
up there that day, and, and it, you know, uh, I was just as I say, there was a, there was already a bit of a, a festering scab um, between the two of us, I suppose, and, and that just that just you know made it a whole lot worse. And and the other thing is, a lot of other people got caught up in that. You know, that didn't deserve to be caught up in our shit or my shit or his shit or whatever. That um, you know blocked the track and damage was done to other cars, all that kind of thing. And and um, yeah, I I don't want that to happen. Didn't want that to happen, and it was it was almost a little embarrassing. We get asked really regularly. There's a common belief among a lot of people that your car was actually drivable. Can you once and for all categorically tell the fans who believe otherwise why your car was out of the race? Yeah, listen, um, uh, it smacked the wall pretty hard. I, I, um, it had done damage to the front, and I think it uh, it did it broke the um, watts, watts link or something in the back. Um, but to be honest, I don't know. Um, it could have, it, it might have been able to be driven driven back. Um, it was the whack on the wall and the the amount of the impact that probably that that sort of got me. It was like, oh well, that's she's done. She's she's buggered. And instead of probably trying to drive it, um, I didn't. And and uh, subsequently, I th- um, the likes of probably Steve Henderson or someone you know who was my engineer and the boys back then pr- probably uh, confirm or deny if that was the case. But um, and and for sure, um, I think um, if I if I had I didn't try to drive it back because I thought I'd be, with the the whack. There's no way she's, you know, she's going to be mobile, and so that's that's why I did stop. I didn't stop to bloody get out and go and have a fight with him. Um, I stopped because I thought my car was 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 buggered. So if it could have or not, um, that would be for someone else to confirm who was part of the race team. We will follow up with that because we will keep getting asked by the fans about that. Anyway, yeah, we'll keep. Yeah, and, 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 and the car looks it looks okay, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, up against the fence. So. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. If if it if it could have been driven back, I can't remember um, the boys at the time confirming that it could have or not. I'm I'm not sure. It was out of the race in terms of winning or finishing on the podium. So if you are if you ain't first, you last at uh, yeah. that place. Uh, Saren's well, we certainly we certainly weren't going to bloody pluck go down a couple of gears and carry on like nothing had happened. That's for sure. No, it's uh, a given. Saren's got the next question: True or false? Uh, there were some rumours, is it true or false, that you were close to setting up a HSV New Zealand V8 team in the 2000s? No. There you go. Easy one. I like to give easy questions every now and then. Uh, Matthew asks, why didn't your year at Paul Morris Motorsport work out? Triple eight cars, cool Castrol livery. Uh, what's your end take on why that didn't work out to be as good as it probably could have been, should have been, or was hoped to be? Yeah, um, I'd certainly on paper that was um, that looked like it should have been pretty good. Um, not really quite sure. It was an interesting start to the year. I missed the first round, which was a weird way to start. Um, I didn't know I was going to have a drive in 2010. I went off and made a few other plans in the meantime, and then um, and thanks to uh, Russell had a, a part to play, but also Stilger at Castrol and and a bunch of other people who who you know. Um, allowed me to ha- have that gig that year. Um, so, you know, they would they would have thanked for it. But, mate, I, um, it was a weird one because we had these cars and I assumed, you know, it was going to be good. They were, they were, what was the go there? They were built under licence, I think, at Paul Morris's, weren't they? The chassis or something, I think, weren't they? Yeah, it was um, 888 
design, triple eight yeah. IP, but physically all their gear. they're at yeah. PM. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think both Russell and I struggled to 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 get on top of that and what was what was required. And um, it's some good people there at PMM, and um, but it, it it yeah, it was a it was a real struggle. I know it was it was a real frustrating, uh, not only just for us, but it was also for Paul. And and um, but we we did some testing at uh, Queensland Raceway. I know. Uh, I think Jamie drove my car at one stage and and showed that there was a, a little bit of time in a couple of places, but we just could never make it really work. The, the highlight, I think, was uh, Tasmania, wasn't it? Hmm. Finished on the podium, I think, at Tassie on the Sunday. Um, but uh, other than that, it was it was pretty lacklustre. And, and, and then uh, basically by the end of the year, it had all sort of, yeah, well, for me, it had um, gone very averagely and um, it wasn't working out. Um, and I and and I can't even remember. It was ten years ago, exactly what uh, caused it all for, to fall and for me to to disappear. Um, but it, it yeah, it, I think Castro also hadn't committed. Maybe moving forward as well, and and um, um, I think everyone just decided to to go their separate ways. But yeah, it was it was tough. It was really hard because that was the Castro car. I'm going to give that our Castro question of the week because it's something that nobody else asked in terms of the questions in the podcast. So, uh, Matthew, thanks for the No question. one else remembers it. <laughs> it was say, memorable. It was, a, it was the coolest livery. I loved the look of that car. I just yeah. thought it was the, the mega, mega looking livery. And then, um, you know, as you know, I've had a long, strong relationship with Castro and still do. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's always a, enjoyable bunch of people to to uh, do things with yeah and that's our castrol question of the week murph because remember you know this castrol is more than just oil it's liquid <laughs> engineering isn't it they provide the oil fluids and lubricants for today and the future for every driver every rider and every industry and you can follow castrol on facebook to stay across the the latest in motorsport exclusive comps and much much more including some pretty cool retro content and i've got a funny feeling there might be a picture or two of that castrol edge 2010 car uh, rolling through that account in the next few weeks. Uh, Liz asks, any chance you would have a run in Touring Car Masters? Uh, I've been asked that a bit, actually, and, and um, there's been the odd sort of suggestion about it. But, you know, uh, the, the commitment that's, that requires you know, for that as well is, is huge. I mean, the, the guys that are in that all the time are seriously committed and, and put a lot of effort into it. And, and you know, living in New Zealand... Um, it just doesn't really work. And then at the moment also at, at the race meetings, I'm, um, I'm usually working, doing other things. There's a lot of clash going on there. And, and you know, I, it's not something that I ever really had on my plan to do um, was to go down that path. And, I, and I, I, you know, everyone's a little bit different. Some guys just love racing week in, week out and doing that kind of thing. I was always after different things. And that's why I did a bit of rallying because um, it was just something on my bucket list that I wanted to do. And whereas, you know, the Touring Car Master thing, the cars are awesome. They're so cool. But just not something that um, uh, I ever ever had on my radar to, you know, to follow through with. Yep. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Rev Danger. Good Instagram handle, that one. Uh, what road safety programs are you involved in and what would you recommend a, a Wellington boy do to upskill his driving? So, a, 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 I guess... A, serious question. Yeah, serious question. We have some occasionally, but... Uh, yeah. It's obviously it's a, it's an area that's of, of great concern to us all, but of course for those in motorsport who can 
use their influence to, to pass on knowledge and, and info and experience. Uh, what are you involved in that side of things over there in NZ? And uh, a little bit of advice, I guess, for, a, for someone who's young developing their, their driving skills on the road. Yeah, um, so I'm heavily involved in, in road safety sort of stuff over here, and I've been involved with a program that actually um, Holden uh, was involved in a couple of years ago getting off the ground. Uh, it's called uh, Street Smart. So it was called Holden Street Smart. It's not anymore, but Street Smart is still continuing. Um, and it's a, it's a practical awareness program, basically. Um, so you, you turn up at um, a facility, usually one of the race circuits around New Zealand, because it's the only place that we can um, have a whole whole lot of asphalt to use in a controlled environment and um, uh, we do a, a 10 stage da- program for during a day and eight of those are involved in driving cars and and learning a little bit about emergency braking um, sort of uh, um, awareness of peripheral vision um, uh, uh, we simulate nose to tail incidents we simulate uh, head-on incidents all that kind of stuff and um, it's, a, it's a program that um, has been designed by one of New Zealand's um, leading, if not um, most renowned um, uh, road safety researchers and uh, scientists. And it's something that I'm pretty proud of to be involved in. So that program, the Street Smart program, uh, you can get on um, uh, www.streetsmart.nz. I think it's just .nz. And um, there is the ability to actually log your name and, and your interest in, in doing a day. Uh, unfortunately, we can't run them in Wellington because there's no venue there that we can do it. But uh, we do and are looking to um, continue an involvement with Manfield up in the Manawatu and do do events. Uh, sorry, do days there as well. So get online and have a look at that. And, and uh, unfortunately, at the moment, we are struggling a bit with trying to get the funding together to do as many days as we would like to be doing for Street Smart because um, as far it is a user pays, but unfortunately um, the the money that is uh, paid by the user is only about a quarter of what we need to run run a day. So um, we're working through that at the moment to try and find partners. But uh, yeah, road safety is really important to me. Um, way way too many lives are being um, damaged or lost through uh, just unnecessarily because of um, the lack of training that um, we give young people or anybody driving a motor vehicle. Great stuff. Well, that's, that's great. So just a, a reminder, that website, so .nz, you reckon it might be? For, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I'll actually, while, I'm, while I'm here, I'll have a quick look, um, but I'm pretty sure it's um, streetsmart.nz. A little um, so, yeah, that's, that's something I'm involved in, but, um, cool. um, um, yeah, it's, it's important that we continue to try to help young people out there. Mm, no, absolutely. How's Google going? Yeah, it's streetsmart.nz. There you go. You were right the first time. You should have backed yeah, yourself. It's not .co. There's no co because you'll, you'll end up in a property. property <laughs> <laughs> not the place to end up, no. A uh, couple more. Um, Ken Wills asks, uh, I can't wait to listen to this episode. Can you ask Murph what was it like driving with Scaife in 09 and was that the Bathurst win that got away? Uh, great to drive a scathe. I mean, I um, because obviously he is an icon of, of our of our sport. Um, we've had battles and battles and battles over the years. You know, um, I think there was a fair intense rivalry there, especially when we came to Pukekohe. Uh, couldn't think of anyone better to beat at Pukekohe than Mark Scaife. Um, I know how much it rolled him up, so that was pretty cool. Um, but to end up uh, sharing a car together was 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 bloody awesome. Um, and it did get away from us um, for sure, but. It's one of those event, one of those races where uh, 
the the safety car, just like it has done many, many times before, um, probably gave us gave us a chance to be back in the race. And then it cruelly also took it away from us later in the race. So that is and, – and everyone's got stories, right? So um, I'm not going to say that, uh, uh, you know, that race was ours and it should have been ours or anything like that, but but the facts are the facts and, and we, we had positioned ourselves uh, thanks to, obviously, a few things falling into our lap uh, during the day um, after they'd also been taken away. Um, you know, it, it put us in a position to be uh, – at the front of the field, we were following Greg Ritter at the time, who was also on the same strategy as us, and who also got screwed by that same safety car. But we had more fuel in our car than what he did. So our stop was always shorter. We had the pace of, of him, um, but our stop was going to be shorter and was going to bring us out in front with only a stint to go. Um, and with the speed of, uh, that the car was in the dry, you know, um, I don't believe we would have got beaten. But it's um, the same story in every every... Every driver, well, that I know um, has probably got uh, one where they can say a similar thing could have happened. So it is just what it is. But for a race that I didn't win, it was also one of the most rewarding. So to come from 13th um, with only a handful of laps remaining, or however many laps it was in that last stint, 13th, uh, to come through and, and only be pipped by Lee Holdsworth by 0 0.0 something of a second at the finish line was actually one of the, one of the most enjoyable drives I've ever had. I thought you might say that. So I got this ready. In fact, actually, Will Dale, who produces our podcasts uh, and, and co-hosts some of these episodes with me, did. You did get a record that day, but it's not a record you want. You've got a lot of great records, but you hold a record for the closest miss of a podium in Bathurst 1000 history because the margin was 0 0.0042. Was it really? That's all it was. There's a photo we've got here and the checkered flag's waving. The Valvoline yeah. car's just about at the finish line. And I reckon... If you measured it in an actual measurement, I'm sure you can figure it out from the mathematics, but it's in centimetres. It is almost too hard to pick the cars. If, it wasn't, one. if, I, if I didn't like Lee Holdsworth so much, if it was someone else, I probably would have punted them, to be honest. <laughs> but he, he's, he's such a good bloke. There was no way I was going to – I could do that. So. Oh, you're, you're, you're too kind. You're too kind. You were mellowing in your, your older years. Um, uh, another one here from a, a young lady on the Gold Coast. Uh, I think her name's Rihanna. The, does he miss me or Larko more? <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit that's a hard that's actually probably the toughest question i've had i've been given tonight to be honest <laughs> no, which one? I miss, I'm, I'm i it's incredible hey eh, that when you when you don't have it how much you do uh miss the people that um you spend so much time with sitting on those weekends and you know we've uh we've um generated a, a pretty cool team there with re and and uh, Larco and elaine there and obviously aj as well and and just everybody all the people i work with and and that are speaking in your ear you know emma and and uh dt and and Ange and, and nathan and and everybody else it's it's just a, an amazing family and and right now it's um it is very weird uh not uh, being a part of it so uh um yeah it's it's uh you get so used to it, and I can't believe it's it's six years of being in that role. Although this year, I don't know if I can count as a full year, but um, it's amazing how quick it, how quick it goes, and and the things that um, have happened. So, which one do you miss more? Oh, re. All right. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, 
Hey, he got to name your dog, so he's he's already had a win. Uh, Chris Pegg asks, uh, he took you around uh, Albert Park and Phillip Island on parade laps in an orange Corvette some years ago. And he said, apart from uh, a bit of insight on the braking markers and lines, but you mentioned that you had a, a charger that you were restoring in, in NZ. And I, I remember that you talked about this with Rusty. So that's a fair while ago now, though. How's the charger going? Is it finished? Where are you at with it? What's going on? Uh, it is not far off being finished. It's, um, it's in America. It's at uh, a, a company called Ring Brothers, who um, are one of uh, America's top uh, car builders, um, focusing on muscle cars, and um, oh, amongst a few other things. But um, um, I went to SEMA um, in Vegas um, oh, two th- uh, 2014, I think it was, and um, saw a car that they launched at SEMA that year. It was called Recoil, which was a 66 Chevelle. And uh, and I fell in love with that car, and I was like, "Wow, that's amazing!" And uh, from that day on, they were they're on my radar as far as you know, uh, builders of cool cars. But it was only a couple of years ago that I I actually contacted them and said, "Listen, no, I've got this car," you know, thinking that they would just like laugh at me and say, "Oh, no, we're we're too busy. We've got better things to do." But they didn't. They said, um, "We'd loved your car. We'd love to see it over there." Not knowing anything about me or who I was, um, they just yeah, that's what we do. And so subsequently, the car got sent to America. And it's been there since December 2018, I think it was. And um, it's it's nearly finished. It'll be it'll be finished probably um, by early next year. Just working around their schedule uh, at the moment, where they've got a few projects, which has just pushed mine to the side a little bit. But it's painted. Um, and it's on its feet and um, it needs interior and it needs a few other bits and pieces, but um, it is uh, looking very good. And if anyone asks me for a photo, no, you're not going to get one. <laughs> okay, I'll scratch that follow-up question then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have a follow-up question. What else have you got, just quickly, uh, cars-wise? Have you got any other little projects on the go? No, no more projects. Um, the, the, the Charger is definitely the the um finale as far as projects go um because it is a pretty serious one and and uh one that is um uh yes been difficult for my good wife to understand which is fair enough but it, it is um it, i don't know i've had to think about a 69 charges since i was um, a kid watching dukes of hazard and uh i uh, yes this one has been i've owned it now since 2007 this car so it's right. a long 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 time um, but it is going to be, um, yeah, it's going to be everything that I ever wanted it to be. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, other projects, no, but I've got um, my Datsun 1200 Triple S, which is uh, pride and joy. I had one when I was a kid and I wrote that off when I was um, 19, which I regretted every day since. And, um, and that's also one of the reasons why I'm involved in road safety because I was very lucky back in the day to, to, um, uh, get away with riding a car off and not being hurt or injured or killed. And um, it woke me up big time back in the day to realise, you know, uh, that uh, it can happen to anybody at any time, these things. And so got, I've got one of those, which, um, and also you may have seen uh, during lockdown doing the odd video, um, which surprised a lot of people. I have a Mark II Ford Escort 1600 Sport in the garage, which um, just recently got um, got finished as well. So that's pretty cool. Um, to have there a couple of old classics, very special cars. Um, I've got a bloody rally car if anyone wants to buy one. Got a, a very good, only driven kindly and slowly on Sundays, uh, Barina AP4 rally car, 
That's for sale. I'm uh, almost at a point where I'm taking offers on that because it (laughs) needs to go. So, yes. Uh, Anyone who's interested, pass on a note. We'll pass it on to Greg. That's right. Uh, David Tomek's got our, our last of our National Motor Racing Museum catch racer questions. He says he's got Murph's Law, which was the book that came out in 04. He's got Murph, which I think came out in about 2015, 16, somewhere yeah, around somewhere there. Right. He said, can we expect a 2.0 autobiography of your later career stuff, post supercars, media, rallying, other stuff? No, not interesting. No one would buy it. Struggled to sell the last two books. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. I've got a few ideas. There's nowhere near as much controversy now. So, you know, who's interested in that? That's true. We're going to have to wait for some people to DNF before you can tell some real stories about them. So, (laughs) (laughs) hard to tell them when they're still here and that they can still sue you. Um, But I've got a couple of ideas in that regard. So, I might share them with you when we're offline. Just quickly before we wrap up, um, we do the Motor Focus Top 10 shootout. You topped. One of the greatest shootouts at Bathurst in 03 with that lap of the gods. But we have the Motor Focus Top 10 shootout. And Motor Focus is um, in Australia, home of quality scale models. They stock them all, uh, the big brands, plenty of your cars over the years. Uh, they're online, motorfocus.com.au, or you can pop in and see them at Unit 9, number one Stockwell Place in Archerfield, Queensland. Uh, they are going to be at the Townsville V8 round coming up. Uh, oh, yeah. I've been to their tent plenty of times. Yeah, yeah. back-to-back weekends. Dimitri and the yep. team will uh, look everyone up. As this podcast airs, uh, it's the second Townsville event that's coming up this weekend. So uh, basically... We'll just turn on the light. Oh, Mate. right. There you go. We'll just turn on the light. Look, all of a sudden. It, it is worse or better. Oh, better or worse. Uh, can you turn the light back off? Uh, yeah. There's, there's you just need to turn the light back off. <laughs> I don't. No, 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 no. It's all right. It's all that right. was a joke. That was a joke. Uh, by the way, for those who are listening to the podcast, we are on a Zoom call. We have been changing our backgrounds uh, constantly throughout this whole podcast as well. I've stuck with the Oryx Audi A4 and Murph stuck with the Kmart Castrol VY Commodore. This is word association. You tell me the first word or two that come into your head when I say the following things, okay? Oh, you're shaking your head and you've got your hand in your... Oh, I hate these things. All right. Just, just reflex action. First thing that comes to mind, Avan's throne. Say that again. Avan's throne. Avan Muller. You know the toilet, the five-minute stop. It had a label on it. It was called Avan's throne. Oh, Gerald McDornan, one of his finest moments. There's two words, Gerald and McDornan, the PR guy for yeah. came. That was his doing. Yeah. Uh, what's the word that springs to mind when I say super tours? Audi. Fair point. Uh, just because it's on my backdrop of my video at the moment. Pretty much. Um, Reynard 92D. Oh, joy. Oh, nice. Short words too. This is going well. Yeah. Uh, oh, you meant, you gave a character assessment of this guy a little earlier, but you can have another crack at him here. Rick Kelly. <sighs> Mad. <laughs> uh, I think his son's... And, 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 and more words. He, uh, great, great mate. Great friend. Actually, quickly, uh, his kid looks like he's taken over everybody's role in the pit lane in the last week or two with some of his work. Uh, I'm going to be out of a job for sure. (laughs) He's been uh, lightning, little Lex. Um, uh, One thing that occurred to me too, I ask everyone who's won a Bathurst what changed in their life, but just quickly, what's the bond between drivers who – you go your separate ways after winning Bathurst to other teams. Some guys leave the sport, retire. Rick's still going. 
relationships can change. It's like friendships from school, I guess, but that bond forever that you are Bathurst winners together. Talk to me about how special that is and the special bond you have with Rick and also with Richo because you won two each with um, with those guys and obviously two with Rick, one with Steve and, and one with Lounsey. Yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, you, you obviously still... Uh, mates with all those guys and and but the yeah the bonds the bonds are really different and i don't know what it was about rick i think uh obviously lounsey and i and and myself and richo all similar sort of ages really and not not too dissimilar to each other whereas rick was a little bit different you know he's a bit younger and and i probably felt like a bit of a a mentor to him a little bit at the time too and and we just we had this really um seamless easy sort of uh gel between us and um you know, we've we've always had it, and we've always been uh, quite close in that respect, and and I think just had a, a lot of mutual respect for each other, and and we've just had a lot of laughs, a lot of fun, and you know, um, over the years, and so I, I think, you know, it, I don't know what his thoughts are. We've never really said anything about it. We probably wouldn't, but I mean, asking him about it, it would be interesting to get a, a response, I suppose, on what what he sees about it. But yeah, it's it's something we've you know we've sort of continued on ever since in respect of um, you know our, our friendship and and yeah, and we've been joined, I suppose, because as you say, because of those those uh, milestones in our careers together, and the fact he hasn't won another one since, you know. Um, I don't think he's ever going to now, obviously, because he's not going to have, be able to have me as a co-driver. <laughs> I was wondering how you're going to finish that sentence there, and probably I should have predicted that that was mm. going to deliver. Uh, next part of the Motor Focus Top 10 shootout, I warmed you up with your Bathurst uh, co-drivers. The word to describe Steve Richards. Oh, uh, um, reliable. Mm-hmm. Yep, his record would uh, back that up for sure. Pukekohe. Um Cathedral. Oh, that's good. I like that. I like that. Uh, Mark Scaife. Annoying. <laughs> Got a funny for, feeling. For all, the posi- for all the for all the for all the uh, positive reasons, though, right? Because he's just he just he's just relentless. Let's let's say relentless. That's a good word. Yeah, because he just never stops. Uh, Garth Tanner. Um, he's annoying. <laughs> You can't use the same thing yeah. twice. That's the rule. No, because well, no, Scaife's relentless. Tanner's annoying um, uh, because he's he's usually um, comes up with the um, smart ass comments on any Instagram post that I that I put up. Um, but he's also uh, uh, what would we say? Um, he's fast. Mm, still is. Still is. Still is. Still is. Uh, two to go, Jim Richards. Icon. Oh, I thought you were going to say that. Mm. Um, AIR punt victim is probably the That's word. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> one, of, one of he remembers that. One of he's, you know, he's, he's always held that as a grudge. I wonder. We'll, we'll check and report back to you uh, down the mm. track. Um, last one, Greg Rust. Oh, um, oh! There's so many words to, to describe Greg Rust. So many words, but um, um, oh, he's like he's like a soulmate, you know. What? He's just he's 
not mine necessarily, oh. but he would be to lots of people. But I mean, what's another word to describe that? He's just, he's just one of those. He's so he's such a decent human. There's two oh. words though. That's okay. You're allowed to have two. But I thought that I know he's your neighbour and all, but soulmate was. I thought. Wow. Yeah. No. Well, I needed another word to describe it, sort of from from um, everyone's perspective. But um, I get what you mean. Yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah. I get what you mean. Hey, mate, it's been a pleasure. I know we've taken up probably more of your time than you had to give uh, again. Yes, a lot more. We're, we're sorry, sorry, sorry. Mate, I am busy over here in lockdown. Um, you know, I'm, I've, got, I've got so much going on. Well, I can help you with that. I'll send you a copy of our Racing the Line Holden Illustrated book. It's out now from our online bookshop, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. I'll jam one in the post. It'll get there in 2023. Uh, by, which, <laughs> by which time we've probably done another 17 books. But I might have to canoe canoe over covertly onto the <laughs> beaches in Port Melbourne and just meet you there to grab it and then canoe back out again. Bring your waterproof uh, backpack and we'll load a couple in there for the, for the trip right. back. <laughs> Mate, a pleasure. Uh, plenty of stuff that we didn't get to today. I hope we didn't hurt the brain cells too much. We're trying to remember some stuff from, from back in the old days. But um, so much for us to chat about again. We'll do it again um, another time when we're all locked down and can't do anything exciting. In the meantime, though, stay well and uh, good to chat. Great stuff. Thank you, Mr. Sleuth. There you have it. Greg Murphy on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timkin. It was fantastic. To sit down with Murph and talk about a bunch of stuff that he probably hasn't thought about for quite a few years. He gave us a whole heap of his time. So a big thanks to Murph for sitting down with me and going down memory lane. A reminder too, our V8 Sleuth online bookshop is open for business. And of course, our new Racing the Lion Holden Motorsport Illustrated History book is a prominent part of that. It is available to order now if you go to bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Funnily enough, Greg Murphy does feature in our Bathurst Going Global 12-hour Bathurst book covering the last 10 years of GT racing in the 12-hour. He did it once in a Corvette, but you forgot about that one. So he's in that book as well. Uh, Of course, buy both books and postage is cheaper than it is if you buy the books separately. Great idea. Go to bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Thanks again, too, for all of your podcast feedback. Thanks for the questions and the thoughts. Uh, tell your mates all about it. Subscribe. Send us a note through our V8 Sleuth website. We'd love to hear from you with any suggestions you've got for future episodes or people you might like us to sit down and, and have a chat to. We always love to hear from you. Of course, follow us in all the places as usual on social, in Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and uh, subscribe to our newsletter too through our website, v8sleuth.com.au. You'll get the latest and greatest of offers and products and, and news on the website as well. Anyway, that's Greg Murphy done on the V8 Sleuth podcast. Thanks for listening. And we'll join you again for another episode very soon of the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. 
from the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them. AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.